Welcome to the Lake St. Clair Walleye Association Walleye World Podcast. This is Rob, and you're listening to the August edition of our show. This month, we're excited to have Ed Stahusky, former National Walleye Tour Angler of the Year from 2016 on board, to interview him about competitive walleye fishing on the tournament scene and the mindset to succeed in all conditions. Additionally, we'll chat with him a little bit about techniques to get walleyes appropriate for this time of year. And then as we proceed into our episode, we'll talk a little bit about fishing reports and the best ways to get at them this month. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. Okay, so we have National Walleye Tour professional fisherman at Stahusky. He is a local Michigan fisherman out of uh, Canton, Michigan. And if you follow anything with National Walleye Tour, I'm sure you've heard the name and we're excited to have him on here. So Ed, we're going to ask you a little bit about how and why you got started to fishing walleyes. Yeah, first, thanks for having me on uh, to talk. Uh, yeah, I started walleye fishing uh, probably like most people when I when I was a, a young kid uh, fishing with my dad, right? Uh, every Sunday, we'd make a trip out to Lake Erie whenever weather permitted and uh, uh, fish that quite a bit. And then uh, started fishing the river, uh, Detroit River, uh, after that. And then... Uh, and Saginaw Bay, Lake St. Clair, all that stuff. So I grew up uh, fishing Michigan waters quite a bit. Um, and then uh, I just just continued to fish uh, throughout uh, my entire life, and that took me into tournament fishing. So. What advice would you give anyone that is starting out in competitive walleye fishing and eventually looking to pursue a pro career? Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about how I got involved with competitive fishing. And uh, if there's no right or wrong way to, to get into it. And all some of the lessons I learned that I, I wish I would have done uh, a little bit more on the, uh, co-angler side of uh, the events before, uh, I transitioned over onto the, uh, the boater side. So I fished, um, primarily like league events to start. I did one PWT as a co-angler and then I uh, did some league events and did well on my home water, but, uh, um, struggled when I went to, um, new bodies of water. So, uh, there's always that learning curve, right? Um, yeah, there, there's some great, uh, I'll say, uh, uh, local tours like the Michigan walleye tour and things like that, where you'll, you'll get to experience, um, um, I'll say, um, some diverse fisheries just within the state, but, uh, sure. once you start branch, yeah, once you branch out in other states, you'll find, I mean, the techniques uh, vary quite a bit and things like that. I, if, if I could have done it all over again, I would probably would have done one year as a co-angler um, just to, to get in the boats of a few different guys, see how they rig stuff, uh, just learn um, um, some of the techniques that are out there that uh, uh, I guess I wasn't real familiar with when I first started. And then uh, – um, cause there's nothing like a hands-on experience when you get in a boat with somebody yeah. else that, that, uh, really knows what they're doing. Uh, but then just, um, talking to, uh, guys on, uh, on the tour, um, there's quite a few of us that are really easy to approach, get involved on the co-angler side. There's quite a few pros that, uh, enjoy having, um, uh, traveling partners with them and you get to see the ins and outs, uh, of, uh, professional walleye tour before you kind of jump into it feet first. Um, I think with time and dedication, um, anybody can become a, um, a really competitive angler. It's the, the beauty about the sport. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And just to echo your comments about a lot of the professional anglers. Um, I fished my first national walleye tour in Bay city 
And um, I was partnered with your teammate, Wayne Van Dyke. I had a blast and I learned a ton. So yeah, anyone listening, I'd highly recommend checking out National Walleye Tour because it'll blow your mind. Being a Lake St. Clair guy myself, it's mostly weed fishing. You're following these bait schools or looking for the right color of water in the early spring. But um, Outer Bay, Saginaw Bay is a totally different beast than what we're used to fishing. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to hear more about some of the different bodies of water that you fish. Um, do you have a favorite and one you look forward to most of the year? Oh, wow. Um, no, I grew up fishing Erie, so that's kind of like old hat to me. Um, it, I guess it's changed throughout the years. You know, I, when I started uh, – um, you know, fishing and it was just a little guy fishing with my dad and that, you know, the water had a totally different color to it. Right. And, uh, yeah. it was, it was pretty, pretty easy fishing, uh, early on in the, uh, spring and summer. Um, but, uh, I, you know, it's hard to pick one. I, you know, I just left one from North Dakota. That's been really fun for me to fish the past few years. Uh, Devil's Lake, North Dakota. It's just so diverse, uh, just totally different body of water than what I'm used to. Cause, uh, um, some of the techniques you can use there are just my favorite, like jigging and using jigging wraps and casting and things like that. Some hands-on type fishing, uh, anytime, um, you know, you can put the, the put the rod in the hand and feel the bite. Uh, I, I really enjoy that. So that's probably one of my favorite bodies of water. Um, and then right behind that might actually be, uh, the uh, Michigan shoreline of Green Bay. So up above um, uh, Green Bay and Wisconsin, that whole shoreline in there, there's, it's just a, a really fun place to fish when uh, you get on that casting bite up there. Yeah, that's one thing I've been experimenting more with is um, casting some of those uh, glide baits like those um, jigging wraps and also the shiver minnows, and, and that mm-hmm. is a lot of fun. Um, so when you were on uh, Devil's Lake, did you find yourself doing more uh, pitching and retrieving or more of a vertical approach? You know, uh, Devil's Lake usually sets up for, just because of the water clarity there on, in most of the lake, it's more of a, a vertical approach uh, we're using, uh, uh, jigging wraps more so than your glide bait like a shiver minnow. So okay. you, I, I find, for me at least, what I, what I find is when you're in that vertical type jigging style, uh, like a number nine jigging wrap is is the best. And when you're on a, a clearer water situation, when you're doing the casting, um, the shiver minnow uh, is, a, is a better bait for that style of fishing if I'm going to use uh, glide-type baits, if you will. But uh, you're doing more of a traditional uh, jig stroke when you're fishing the jigging wrap uh, vertical. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, semi-taut line throughout the, throughout the whole uh, process as you use a shiver minnow what you find is you have to pop it it's more of a pop on slack line versus a jigging stroke sure if you if you jig it straight back it doesn't really have the, the effectiveness as it as a as a pop on a slack line what i mean by that is right before you make your jigging stroke you you drop your line down below um i guess it would be below the nine nine o'clock position get a little bow in your line and you mm-hmm. pop it and it's like walking the dog it moves it uh left or right all the way back to the boat and that's really the the triggering mechanism on that bait there's no vibration there's no scent there's nothing really to to really get the walleye to be motivated to bite other than it's a reaction bite so which is fun because they usually uh hit those pretty aggressively i love that bite um on your jigging wraps do you modify the baits i know a lot of guys i talk to maybe talk about um clipping off the front hook or at least upgrading that bottom hook on that bait the treble 
Yeah, I upgrade the bottom one with the with the Gamagatsu hook. I don't take off the front hook. Uh, if you're if you are running into problems where you're um, fouling a lot or snagging a lot with that front hook, uh, I'd suggest that if you if if you feel like you want to do that, if you want to pinch it pinch it off, don't pinch it off. Just bend it down. Mm-hmm. So take take a pair of pliers and bend it all the way into the into the jig body itself gotcha. because that's uh it'll keep the balance on the hook if you if you cut it off it starts going uh, uh i guess more uh, tail back then mm-hmm. changes the profile when you're holding it there and hovering it so you, you you can do that but i don't take that hook off i, I don't know uh, to me the more hooks <laughs> the better on, on those things and occasionally you do get them pinned on both the front and the back hook no kidding when when, when they inhale it yeah you'll you'll find that quite a bit uh, i'd say though um, 60 70 percent are on on the treble and then uh, when they inhale it you'll you'll find both hooks uh in their mouth so okay. a jigging wrap too you can get pretty aggressive when you reel a jigging uh, fish on a jigging wrap and uh and go a little bit lighter on um uh, shiver minnow so i i actually have different gear for the different baits it's just a finer wire hook on the back of a shiver minnow and mm-hmm. uh you can bend those things out. To, <laughs> I've had little, it happen. Yeah, you get a little too aggressive on that. You know, uh, you'll reel it up and go, "What happened?" You'll see that back hook just bent right out. So yeah, and when you say you modify your approach and um, your your tackle for using that shiver and, and that walking the dog technique, are you going with a little bit lighter rod instead of a medium? Yeah, so I use a medium light. I still want that. Uh, I still want that uh, fast action tip on it. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, but I'd like a, a little bit lighter rod so that I've got more, more given it. I still want that fast, uh, that fast feel to it. So I can tell what's going on there. Cause a lot of times they're, they're just ticking it when it's on the bottom and, um, you are doing stuff where you're, you're doing it on semi taut line and you're slacking it. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's when it's falling, you, you actually feel the bite. So that fast action lets you get back into the fish real quick, but that little bit lighter, a little bit lighter, softer uh, rod keeps you from bending the hook out on them. Makes sense. Um, so I personally, I put um, Gamagatsu EWGs, usually number fours, on the bottom of my uh, rip and wraps. I also do that on mm-hmm. um, some of my uh, jigging wraps as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just curious what kind of hook you use and where's the best place to get them in bulk because I struggle to find a good place to get uh, bulk treble hooks for my crankbaits. Um, some of my glide baits, my jigging wraps. Yeah, I use either the round bend or the EWG, depending on the bait that that I'm using. And then I usually just buy them in quantities of 25 uh, packs. Uh, I do them right through Jan's Netcraft. Uh, they're out of Mommy. And uh, for Michigan, I mean, you, you order and it's pretty much at your door in a, a day or two. So I just go around their website and order from there. Nice. Uh, I don't have a lot of time to get to the stores. Uh, like most of us, we're pretty busy. So, um, and because they're so close to us, uh, right there on the Ohio border, it just shows up real quick. And if I'm in a real hurry, I just drop down there and get it. Uh, they're great um, to, to work with. So I can't beat that. Yeah. I've definitely ordered some stuff from them, and I'm I'm in Lake Orion, Michigan, and and that stuff is to my door and within two days. So, as a Michigan yeah. guy, that's uh, can't beat it. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to ask a little bit, a bit about, um, tournament fishing some more, mm-hmm. um, during tournaments, there's a lot of variables that are totally out of your control affecting how you approach catching a winning bag. 
if you could tell us a little bit about the competitive mindset it takes to be successful at that highest level of walleye fishing. Yeah. I mean, we, we spend a lot of time prepping and, and doing our research on bodies of water before we get there. Um, whatever data we can find, um, we'll talk about with some actual, uh, examples, uh, but, um, I'll take, a. Uh, um, uh, Saginaw Bay, for instance, right? Uh, a lot of us know that uh, there's a pretty good bite in the inner bay all year round. Mm-hmm. But uh, you look at some of the data, the telemetry studies and things like that of the fish there, and you, you see how the bigger fish migrate out of there. So there's some of that homework. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of things are out of your control, right? Uh, one thing for me is boat draw, right? So it's like I don't know what boat normal will go out. So I've got to have a plan A, B, C, D, depending on some of these situations. Sometimes uh, I've been to bodies of water um, where I, I know the winning fish are on a spot that's only big enough for one boat. So I, I, I want to find those spots, but I also know that if I get a um, – a boat number draw that I can't get to it. Mm-hmm. I, I, at least maybe not the first day or maybe I get the first day and not the second day because of how they invert the field. I've got to have some contingency plan. So it's always having um, more than just a spot. So identifying some patterns and then, and then adjusting. I think that's probably what uh, makes your breaks. you in, uh, uh, in the tournament um, is knowing when to, um, to bail out on what worked in pre-fishing, right? As conditions change, all right, you get a different wind or uh, temperature change or water clarity change, any of those things uh, can change what you need to do. So, you know, having a, uh, you know, a, a breadth of experience from different situations and bringing that with you uh, is, is pretty, pretty crucial in doing well. Um, I've had to make a lot of adjustments then during the tournaments that, doing things that necessarily didn't work in pre-fishing, but the conditions were right during um, the actual tournament. So mm-hmm. um, having that, having that adaptable mindset and remember it's just fishing, right? So right. not to get, not to get uh, too caught up on, on exactly what happened in practice, but you do try to build uh, a good baseline in the days preceding the tournament with, um, 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 what's been working so i i always try to figure out uh on a macro level like what part of the lake seems to be holding the uh, the bigger fish lake or river right sure. and in some cases like i'll say for us michigan guys right, a lot of the spring tournaments are detroit river that is more about knowing like how to read water and things like that. So current's a little bit different, right? And migratory fish in each river, you can go catch them one day and pre-fishing them. They're not there the next day. Well, they're, cause they're, they're moving up and down through that body of water and, yeah. and not living and dying on a spot, you know, just, mm-hmm. uh, just being able to, to pick up and move. But, uh, having, I'll say, uh, uh, a efficient approach. So knowing, okay, this is how I'm going to transition from this spot, that spot, and, uh, and, and keeping your boat organized and um, everything ready to go so that if something does change, you, you're able to, to adjust. Uh, I think that's pretty key and, and not getting down, right, when, uh, when things don't go right right away, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes uh, 
guys will get in their own head, right? And we'll, we'll kind of spin out because they went to the first spot or the second spot and uh, it's just not happening. So um, just yeah, keeping an open mind and, and pushing ahead, I think that's pretty huge for what's really worked for me throughout the years. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I know in competitive events, a big piece is time management. Can you tell us a little bit about how you approach um, managing time on the water? Yeah. I mean, even during pre-fishing, I'm managing time by looking at uh, um, the, the body of water and dissecting it up on where I want to, what I, where I want to start and, uh, and things like that. But uh, during a tournament day, um, uh, let's say I, I know my, my prime spot and the situation maybe where it's a, it's a small spot uh, is uh, 30 miles away. Well, I want to have, I want to have a few other spots nearby that where if I do um, have to bail out on it, uh, I can switch over in another spot. Another thing I do, um, uh, I try to run the fastest boat <laughs> possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I don't know, I've been fortunate enough that uh, um, years ago I hooked up with Ranger Ann Everett and they've been great, great to me. And uh, I, I probably made uh, uh, more money because I had a fast boat <laughs> than I would have if, if I didn't. Uh, I, I learned my lesson in uh, 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 championship. Uh, I forget what year it was, but uh, uh, I thought for sure there's nobody's going to beat me there. And uh, I got drove around and, and, uh, <laughs> and it was uh, the difference between you know, an $85,000 payday and an $8,000 payday. I mean, I'm not complaining, but right. uh, it would have been, it would have been great to have got to that spot because it was re- literally we were fishing spots on the spot where there was just a, um, enough spot for, for one boat, but getting there in, in um, one piece and uh, so that you're still able to fish your, your boats ready to go and everything's, uh, well organized and planned out and then um i you know i think a lot of guys too uh part of going in with that is having uh having that milk run and some of those routes really planned really well in your uh electronics so i you know i spend a lot of time uh during practice finding stuff that's not on maps right mm-hmm. uh, i turn structure scan on and uh um i pretty much leave it on on uh, one of my uh, one rants on my bow and one on my uh, uh, on my dash the whole time. So when I bring my boat off plane, I'm seeing you know uh, 200 feet of the water versus whatever is underneath my cone. And I found just rock piles and things like that 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 weren't on the map. Went back, marked them, came back, and caught fish on them. Now I might not I might not fish it right after I drove my boat over it, but I might mm-hmm. pull away from it depending on the depth, right? And and do that. They're, I think a huge part of efficiency is fishing where there's fish, right? right. Uh, a lot of guys will go to waypoints or they'll get waypoints in a program from somebody else. And you know, not to knock, uh, you know, that, but uh, you, you learn a lot more if you just if you just tune that out and and uh, just go out and trust your your own ability and instincts and and understand your electronics. I've I've learned like that for me nothing works better than 
a transducer that's in the water, right? So not sure. one that's a shoot through the hole. I, I, I place mine pretty low in my boat, and I've tuned them into, you know, being able to read them really well at, like, 40 miles an hour. No kidding. So, yeah, so in, here's here's some things that I learned and learned them uh, just through uh, trial and error, right? One thing was after you've caught fish, and it's like, all the all the companies make pretty good stuff. I particularly use Lorance because I have really good, uh, really really good luck with it. And uh, you and me really both. Enjoy, yeah, I really enjoy the product. Um, but uh, what I did even years ago is I, after I started being able to read it at a little bit higher speeds, what, what I found was um, I could even get better and better uh, by first making sure my transducer placement was perfect on my boat that it's running in clean water at higher speeds that's the biggest thing if you're getting bubbles underneath it mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to really tell what's going on there because once you start getting too much noise it just weakens the signal the other part is once you've marked fish going slow and maybe you're done fishing for the day or uh, you've got a little bit of time on your hands start driving over them faster and faster this is particularly uh good to do in Lake Erie and look at it at different speeds. So understand what, what the fish look like on my graph at 25 miles an hour. What do they look at at 30? What do they look like at 40? Can I still see them at 40? Knowing where that, where that break is I between you and me, like the, the really good anglers on Erie are able to, to see that uh, at a lot higher speeds. And that lets them comb the, 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 the tons of water a lot faster and that's everywhere though too i mean once you start getting better and better and reading it reading that and uh being able to fine-tune it it's it's huge because any of those tournaments are i'll say open water basin type fishing yeah if, if you can't do that eh, you're you're praying that <laughs> those fish stayed in that spot and right if, if stuff if they've moved a quarter mile they might as well move 12 miles if, if you don't know where they're at so uh and i've done some really wacky things to to see what fish look like in different depths and different situations like i've taken and uh um put a snap weight heavy snap weight back on a fish and dropped it below the cone and looked at it right so mm -hmm. i'm like okay that's what this one looks like yeah this is what a this is what a silver bass looks like on my graph this is what a sheephead looks like this is what a 21 inch walleye and a 21 inch walleye and a 27 inch walleye don't look a heck of a lot different no kidding. On your graph, yeah, they mm -hmm. look pretty similar. But, uh, um, but just being able to 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 see that stuff when you're when you're out there. So knowing your electronics is huge. I mean, uh, uh, between the the good and the average guys, it's it's really a lot has to do with that and understanding where to put the baits uh, um, after you after you find them. So um, you know that's uh, pretty pretty key for me. Yeah. Um, one thing I picked up that you just mentioned is um, I, I've been burned in the past, too, where I couldn't have uh, marked the fish in more of efficient way, uh, motoring and, and uh, not having that transducer tuned right has burned me. It burned me during a low golf tournament here in May. Mm -hmm. And those fish, same thing, they moved half a mile and we were off of them for a while. And if we would have been able to move quicker and, and catch them in the mud and following that bait, it probably mm -hmm. would have helped us out quite a bit. But um yeah, since we're on the topic of electronics, um, 
a lot of the listeners are Lake St. Clair fishermen and guys who fish southeastern Michigan, and um, I'm a Lawrence guy myself, and many of the larger fish we're trying to target are relating to that thick, dense weed beds, um, sometimes in those deeper waters on the lake. And um, do you have any recommendations for better dialing in and detecting those fish that are just buried into the bases of those weeds? I tell you what, a couple of things that have come on to the HDS units recently on the Lawrence's that helped me. One thing I've been doing for a while is uh, uh, the palette on your normal 2D sonar. I switch it to a palette 13 and that helps me see fish not only in the weeds, but on the bottom as well, because the, 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 the colored pattern is a little bit different. The, the, well, I'll say the muck bottom will come in as a brown color, anything mm-hmm. that's a muck or sand. And then, uh, you can see the rocks versus the, the, the fish on the bottom, but also you can, I, I believe for me, I can see better inside, uh, you know, the tops of weeds and stuff, uh, when that's on the next thing that has become really uh, important for me is that that down scan and the side scan but the and the weeds probably more so the the down scan and be able to see um fish in there with the fish reveal you can start to pick fish out that you didn't see before um weed fish too that through uh i'll say a little more uh, uh i'll say tolerant of the boat right so you can you can get closer to them than you could, let's say, a fish in that same uh, depth of water that's just clean, right? So mm-hmm. you can get a lot closer to them and, and actually see them on your graph uh, uh, a lot better. Um, typically, if we're going to fish boards in the weeds, and some places it's easier to do than others, but sure. uh, uh, we don't run them very far from the boat, right? For a couple of reasons. You're you're going to work a lot harder when you're fishing the weeds, uh, not only because you're, uh, you might be cleaning weeds off your baits a little more, but, uh, I don't know, it, there's just a lot of other fish right in the weeds with them. So, um, and, you know, often we're just ticking the tops of the weeds with either harnesses or crankbaits, right. Uh, to, to just find them. But, uh, I think day in, day out, if you find a, a weed bed that, seems to be holding the better fish if you can sit on it and pitch uh, I guess the appropriate size jig into whatever depth that you have with uh, with uh, uh, artificial bait on there and work it faster because those fish are typically they're pretty aggressive right because it's they can only see the bait for a short period of time so as it goes by them if if it's if they're active they're gonna they're going to come out and get it. So, uh, and just a, your old, uh, uh, I don't want to say standard type twister tail type body and like a power bait form, um, is pretty, pretty deadly in, in the weeds. And anytime you can find cabbage weeds, especially pitching it in there is, is pretty huge. Um, I it, will say this is it gets denser and denser. It gets harder to find them on the electronics. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're there. going through now. Yeah. So, but what I what I would start though is on the you know start on the deep weed edge, start on the edge of that, and I'm if you can do it, if you can if you can stand it, troll it right. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, a lot of my friends and I, I I'll say this the they they were better at way better at it than I was, and it took me a while to to see to see the light. Um, 
they'll when it gets really dense they'll go away from the boards and really fit fish right behind the bow right uh, hmm. uh bullet style sinker small um small lead behind that and uh uh fishing with like spinning type gear instead of your traditional trolling gear pitching it out behind the boat and just using the bow mount to, to work around the edge of it um and they're using single hook uh harnesses but with a with a longer shank and then uh, keeping them probably about uh, right around half a crawler on there uh almost a, sounds like slow death yeah similar really similar to that you know it's a, it's it's like a bigger aberdeen type hook okay. uh, that, that you tie up on there um i'm sure you could get away with your standard you know octopus or something like that with a with a couple hooks but the, with that one um not running into, into nearly as many um uh, you know I'll say fouling situations where you're where you're hooking uh, uh weeds on the bait and by running them right behind the boat it's really efficient and those yeah. fish they're not scared of that. And especially as a, as that water gets sensor, if you go over them with just your electric motor, they'll, they'll tolerate it quite a bit, especially the, um, the bigger fish, which, uh, really surprised me. No um, kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I so, mean, uh, even if the water's, uh, kind of, kind of clear, if you're in weeds now, if there's no weeds, don't, yeah. don't, don't expect to go get them on, you know, in 10 feet of water and, uh, uh, right behind the boat, uh, too often. So no kidding. So with that technique you were just mentioning, um, were they running like crawler harness blades on that too? And if so, uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. Smaller ones. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Like a number three, number four, um, typically, um, within the weeds with a Colorado type blade, uh, hmm. to give it a little more lift, right. Um, uh, to, uh, in the weeds, it, anything you can kind of do to control the descent a little bit better, right. To know, um, that a, I can get the line, especially when I fish behind the boat, I can, I can get a little bit further behind the boat than, than right there. So if you went to, let's say, a, a small willow or a small Indiana, that bait's going to fall pretty, pretty fast, you yeah. know, versus uh, a Colorado is going to give you a little more lift and then, uh, keeping up, uh, I guess the, the 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 weight pretty light on on that rig too, and and it's not real technical when you're doing that. You're just trying to get um, you know baits to to tick the weeds as you go through, right? And yeah. and uh, kind of spread the water column well up a little more because you're not using boards versus um, if you're going to use boards. And now if you get a little bit sparser, I do like boards. Uh, I'll I I might run four off one side instead of running um you know them on both sides of the boat if mm -hmm. i'm going to do that and i'll just run uh I'll run my front rods off my front rail with a little bit heavier weights than the back ones with a little bit lighter weights and then i'll kind of sp i'll spread them out towards the the weed edge side and i'll keep the boat on the on the clean side and i'll run the baits right up into where the weeds are uh emerging right and sure. then and then you know work my way further in as uh if if they're not biting or as the as the day goes on right and they start to push further in there right mm -hmm. yeah so um a lot of what we do on lake st Clair is um trolling crawler harnesses using inline weights and um, planer boards and then 
you uh, you gave us some really good tips on how to target those weed edges for late summer. Um, would you have any other recommendations for late summer crawler harness fishing? You know, any any of your, I mean, on Lake Sinclair, the, the probably the biggest break line is the the channel itself. Right? Yeah. So fishing that with, uh, you can you can get get away with your inline weights in there, but. Uh, uh, the bottom bouncer is probably even more effective um, in that situation. Even run your bottom bouncers off your boards. Uh, I was always, uh, I'd look at, you know, I'll say, I'd look at a bottom bouncer and go, wow, that's a piece of work there. You know, it's a big <laughs> chunk of wire and a lead thing on it. I'm like, man, it's going to scare fish away. They'll come right up to the thing and hit a, hit a harness that's only a foot long. You know, they're not, they're not afraid of that. Uh, piece of wire down there if anything that thing ticking along the bottom actually attracts them and then they see um, a little easy snack behind it and will come and hit it so i you know there's the that uh, the channel edge will hold some some pretty good fish as well as just driving around looking in that basin uh dialing in fish that uh if if you do see some suspended ones your inline weights are probably your better bet if they get closer to the bottom you're uh your bottom monster will just keep your bait cleaner a little bit longer than um, than the inline weight and give you a little more, uh, I'll say, flexibility with with speed. If you if you, yeah, everybody knows uh, it's pretty speed dependent to when you're using any type of weighted type system. So if you uh, have to make a sharp turn because you're fishing in a pack of boats, the bottom monster gives you a little bit more time to recover mm-hmm. just because it doesn't fall as fast as let's say. Uh, uh, an inline weight, but, uh, um, and, I, and when I do that, like the open water, um, fish out there, I'm usually using like a number five Colorado blade again, um, for the, the suspended fish and the fish near the bottom in the, the, I'll say the, the muck bottom, not the, not the weed bottom. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, um, you know, I, I probably have 500 different colors and I put the same four on every time I go out, you know, gold blades, chartreuse, uh, your purples, uh, even pinks from time to time in your, your antifreeze type blades, anything that, that too, that matches kind of that perch color, right. Uh, some, a lot of your bigger walleye, that's what they're eating out there. Absolutely. Right? Yep. You know, so anytime you can get near that color when you're out there fishing, um, I bet, I think the, you could probably get away with any color with a, with a crawler behind it. Cause they, they come and they see that and then they, they really want to eat it. And, uh, you know, I, I, speaking of crawler harnesses, you know, I, I have had some luck with, uh, you know, artificials behind them too. Um, you get in a situation where you're just going through massive amounts of fish, you know, don't be afraid to, to put on a gulp or something like that. Uh, this came from, uh, um, a trip where, you know, we were going through, you know, a couple hundred fish a day if you really wanted to uh, on slow death, and that works on St. Clair too. So yes, don't be afraid to, yeah, don't be afraid to try that. But uh, using the the smaller gulps, the the fry um, type uh, baits on those, and uh, and I like the super death if I'm going to use uh, uh, an artificial with them. But uh, you can you can be so much more efficient. You drop that down there pop the fish, unhook it, 
put it right back down, right? You're not digging into the into your into your box to pull out another crawler, pinch it in half, put it on there. You're just maybe pushing the the bait back up onto your onto your hook a little bit more. But uh, well, sometimes not even that, and just dropping it back down and pulling on other ones because sometimes that's that's what you're doing, right? You're trying to get uh, your eaters, and you might go through you know three unders before you. Um, you get one that's illegal. So um, efficiency is the name of the game. There is is putting it down there and, and moving it uh, through that school till you till you find some of the, the fish that are a little bit better sized, right? Absolutely. Um, based on your past experience and fishing Lake Saint Clair or, or similar bodies of water, are there certain conditions this time of year that would kind of more or less push you to running crankbaits over some of the live bait or artificial? presentations like running crawlers yeah you know uh, the the old rule of thumb used always used to be it was you know water temperature and then that that kind of went out the window um i grew up fishing erie and so uh, we used crankbaits all year round right Uh, Mm -hmm. from from thaw to freeze again right and uh and it's just i think it's more about the the speed of the uh of the crankbait i I guarantee you, you can go out on St. Clair year round and probably do as well pulling crankbaits as you can crawlers. There's nothing wrong pulling crawlers, but uh, you have to fish them a little bit differently and know where your baits are. I think that's, it's, I think it's easier for a lot of guys to dial in the, the, the harness depth than it is the crankbait depth especially if fish are on the bottom right Mm because it's easy it's easy to find the bottom one thing is calibrate all your reels make sure you know you know 100 feet 100 feet and and if if you're sharing information with a buddy make sure they rob the 100 feet feet. (laughs) yeah yeah we've seen that too right you know you go look at their spool and there's it's it's half the full line well (laughs) their their 100 feet is actually 60 feet or 70 feet so Mm -hmm. um but uh that said um you know as the water temperature increases you're going to look for those more hunting seeking type baits um and pulling them a little bit faster right uh it's uh uh, it's never uh, i guess a a bad time to to use crankbaits and i i I can say the same thing with crawlers though too uh a few years ago this is uh, probably six seven maybe eight years ago now uh, we're fishing this little bragging rights tournament down in uh uh Erie and uh everybody else was pulling crankbaits this is like late October and we just we brought some crawlers with us and 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 uh water clarity was pretty bad and uh, but we could see all these shiners on the screen and everyone knows while you'd see a hook and we're pulling number seven big colorados and number eights up high in the water column with crawlers and just just smashing fish so yeah i I don't think they all of a sudden say hey i'm not gonna eat that anymore (laughs) it's just a matter of of getting in front of the uh of the right fish and that are that are active uh so um so i do I, i guess what i would recommend though is 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 you transition between uh, the different types of baits, different types of crankbaits. I'll, I'll give you kind of my breakdown of what where, where I start the season, kind of where I end, and it kind of goes back 
in a in a full circle. I'd like a like a slow slow rolling type bait versus a, uh, so it really has a lot more roll versus uh, uh, yaw or shake to the mm-hmm. bait uh, when I start. So those are like P10 st- style baits. Uh, original Rapala's is the water's cold, so that's in early spring yeah. and then in late fall into winter. So if it doesn't freeze, you can catch them all year round on the P10s and the and the original wraps. Um, and that's any body of water I've ever been to. Uh, P10s have been pretty stellar for me though for the past few years. Um, uh, that really uh, really cold water. Um, you, you pull it through the water at 0.8 to 1.1 miles an hour and you look at it and it's not doing much, but it's doing enough to, to get them to, uh, to trigger on it. Right. They're, Mm -hmm. they're not super aggressive, you know, they're cold blooded animals. So they're, they're not looking to, to waste a bunch of energy at, uh, that cold water to catch it. And that little rolls enough to, to trigger them. Then I go into, uh, uh, a little bit more aggressive bait, like, a uh, deep husky jerk um um as the water gets a little bit warmer right uh, and, and and i guess right in that same time frame right about a little bit after that into your type uh, flicker minnow and flicker shad type baits and those will work all through the the warm water as do um, um some of the other baits like your um, um shad wraps then your um, uh, the bandits have been really good. Yes, they uh, have. You know, it's uh, you can't hardly go into a store anymore without seeing ten thousand different uh, custom colors of them. And, and <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah, it's it's funny how uh, how uh, how that market's really taken off. And uh, you know, uh, I know you'll you can talk to ten different guys on any given day, and they all they're biting. Uh, you know that one color, and, mm-hmm. and it's not the same one color for 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 the ten different guys often. So it's it's funny how that works. But uh, but uh, yeah, that that bandit with that thunking type uh, um, style, and really found that even when you're when you get those those big tungsten um, rattles in there, even if you just leave that bait in the spread, it seems to uh, pull more fish in right pull the more fish in and investigate mm-hmm. and they'll and they'll bite the, the other crankbaits that are nearby as well so um so those those have been pretty great uh um as you go throughout the the season and then in the summer too you you can on on, on st Clair you can still um uh, catch quite a few fish on the old uh hot and tots and uh little warts right as mm-hmm. you as you go through there now you're going to go through all kinds of other fish on those too, but yeah. Uh, yeah, they still work pretty great. Uh, uh, but uh, I don't know if, if it was me day in and day out on St. Clair in, uh, in the summer, I'd probably go right to the um, uh, flicker shads. Uh, uh, just uh, all around good bait. They're they're not real expensive. Uh, only thing I, I say is check the hooks on them a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they just bend pretty easily. So after you bend them a couple times, you might want to take the, that bait out of rotation until you can replace the trouble. I, I've only found like the, the lightest wire. Um, and I can't remember the, the name of it. The lightest wire, um, gummies and owners seem to keep the, the, uh, the bait to work the same on those, um, mm-hmm. do switch them out. But 
I still feel like something's different about him. I and mean, maybe it's just in my head. I lose a little bit confidence once I switch the hooks out on him. I, the, the, to me, those mates are more sensitive to the the uh, the wire weight of the of the treble than than most. Uh, just mm. because of, of I don't know if it's the profile of the bait or they're just matched really really well. That goes for all crankbaits though. And make sure if you're switching out hooks, uh, uh, especially if you're a tournament guy that you you've fished it with those other hooks before you go and pull it out you know on a on a tournament day because it, it can take off um you know depth it can take off uh, or add depth it can it can change the the actual uh rattle profile it can change the the action of the bait just by uh adding or taking uh, uh or changing the change of the hooks i'm just like when, when guys tip a crankbait with a piece of crawler you do that, you actually get that bait not to dive as deep, right? And whenever okay. you do that, yeah, they don't go down as far once you put that on there because you can take two of the same baits and and if you want to experiment with it, you'll see you just go into uh, depth of water, let's say ten feet of water where your bait runs fifteen. Take take two of the same baits, put one with a little crawl around the front you know a little chunk a lot of guys like to do that and just makes them feel more confident with the bait mm-hmm. and and then take another one without run them both out the, to how how deep they should have to go to hit 11 feet deep and the one without the crawler is going to hit the bottom the one that doesn't <laughs> that does have the crawler will not hit the bottom you know it'll it'll lose sometimes 10 15 percent uh up to like 20 25 percent depending on the the type of bait uh when you when you add that little trunk of collar i don't really do it I, yeah it's just if i'm going to do it i'll just go all the way over and, and fish harnesses you know and then if i want to run them in my spread uh, if I want to mix and match, um, well, I'll run a lot of spoon harnesses. You can get the same speed uh, out of a spoon harness that you can a crankbait. Um, that's been pretty key for me when uh, another, I'll say, bait style, bait profile that uh, when the fish have been pressured really heavy uh, uh, with harnesses and or crankbaits, I'll come back through with the with the small spoon harnesses that I tie up. Mm-hmm. So they're... Um, like a Michigan stinger or scorpion spoons, um, with, a with a, uh, two hook harness behind it, no beads, uh, put, uh, about, a, a little over half crawler, maybe three quarters of a crawler behind that, put it on your, about a six foot, uh, bead between that and the inline weight. They do, they do have a lot less drag than, uh, a spinner blade does. So they, they will run deeper than your spinner blade does. But uh, you can pull them in the same spread as your as your crankbaits, and um, it seems like once the fish have been uh, beat on, let's say you know you've got a, a group of boats that have all been fishing really hard, you come back through with those and catch quite a few more. No um, kidding, um, fish. So, yeah. so are you running any sort of spacer between those hooks and that um, smaller Michigan Stinger size spoon? So how I do it is. Uh, I take the treble hook off the back of it mm-hmm. and uh, I take a, a dual lock snap and uh, I leave the split ring on the back. Right. But what I do with the dual lock snap is I slide uh, one octopus hook on that. Right. And mm-hmm. then, then I put about, I don't know, three, maybe three and a half inches of line on a snell hook to 
that I tie right again to that, that, that same dual lock. Now I've got a bunch of those spoons all uh, kind of like blanks, right? So I can mm. switch just like a f- quick disconnect. No kidding. Uh, you know, uh, for so I don't have to have a, a hundred of them tied up, right? I can I I just run those on uh, put those on noodles like you you would anything else uh, mm-hmm. uh, for for storage, and then I've got the um, um, Plano box full of spoon blanks, and I can just pick a color. I typically the I'm using, you know, the chrome backs or the silver backs with the purple or like a perch color on the front. And then uh, pretty much um, switching between that and uh, any type of minnow type color when I when I run those. So um, but the, yeah, it's a little tip that I found when the fish have been heavily pressured in it, it. They basically they just have they don't. They don't turn very much. They don't spin around like a, a, a harness would, but they kind of just have like a little flutter, right? And they mm-hmm. don't flutter regularly. They just, you know, you can pull it through the water and maybe it'll flutter twice, and then it'll stop, then it'll flutter once, then it'll flutter again. So it has more of a radic type uh, action than, let's say, uh, your rotating harness might, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, gives it a little different profile. So it's a tip i'd share for anybody that uh you know they shut down and you want to throw something else at them it seems to work well for me no um, kidding are I, you running I, those the same speeds as you would like a colorado blade harness yep yep and then uh uh again though, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll shorten the 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 lead if i'm doing that so if i'm let's say i'm fishing all harnesses right and then and they just stop for whatever reason but i can still see the fish on on my screen I'll put one of those in, run a little bit shorter lead on it because it's gonna, it, it's gonna, it's gonna dive a lot deeper than uh, a Colorado would. But mm-hmm. also, um, you can run them up to like two two, if you're running them in a crank spread, right? No kidding. Because okay. yeah, yeah, because they they don't have, they won't spin out, or they won't. I guess they won't. Uh, you pull a Colorado too fast, right? It's gonna, it just, it loses its effectiveness after about probably about one seven, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, if you're going to go faster than that, you know, the two options, if you want to run a mixed spread, uh, of cranks and, and neat one's a little blade, right. The little blade will pull, uh, real fast, you know, two, 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 three, uh, without a problem. And then, uh, spoon harnesses have, have, have been a little secret that, uh, I've used them quite a few different bodies of water and, using to catch fish uh, amazingly enough in like 140 feet of water no kidding yeah uh on the bottom and then um you know in really shallow water like uh six feet of water so um after i mean i trolled through there and caught them on uh, uh i'll say traditional spinners and they just shut down or uh crankbaits and they've shut down so no kidding well we appreciate the tip yeah um and all the wisdom you shared with us and uh, one of my last questions is i wanted to see as a tournament angler how do you best balance work life and competitive fishing oh that's uh that's an interesting (laughs) one yeah so i I do have a full-time job right uh i do work uh and then i um, uh, two kids, right. So, um, doing all the sports with them and then, uh, 
and then I travel probably uh, close to I don't know uh, close to 50 days a year for tournament fishing Uh, and then uh, I do quite a few seminars in other states and stuff in in the winter so I think just making sure you put time in for everybody uh for your family too and always put them first right yeah. put uh put put your uh, uh put your your family above all else right and then uh you know make sure you're uh um uh, you're doing everything you can with your finances i, I know a few guys that have put themselves in the hole doing this stuff so mm-hmm. um making sure that you, you've got a plan before you do it too so you know you've got a financial plan where you understand kind of uh, a budget uh before you you get into it so uh, you don't have to to um have everything right uh, you just have to have a plan with what you what you can do and uh can add things to your arsenal as you go forward but uh i know i'm not uh i don't have uh every crankbait in the world i don't have every <laughs> in the world you know mm-hmm. I, I think the key is knowing whoa again what you can afford and staying within that right and uh that'll take a lot of a lot of uh, stress off you if you if you stay within a, a, a planned budget so that's i think that's huge as far as within your balance right because uh you don't want to put stress on on, on anything uh sure. your job your family or anything like that uh because uh, it's in the end of this I, I do it because it's fun right and uh mm-hmm. i continue to learn as i continue to learn and uh um get to go to new bodies of water or revisit the same and try different techniques and things like that. It stays interesting. Right. Yeah. Uh, so if you're, if you're not having fun at it, you shouldn't be doing it <laughs> and go back to, go back to the, to, uh, you know, why, why we all started fishing. Right. That was, it was because it's fun. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, make sure you're, uh, you're enjoying it first and foremost. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, having, a, a good schedule though and understanding when and what you're going to do um, not only for uh, fishing but just for life is is, is a good plan um, uh, which I don't know I, I manage my life kind of a year at a time and mm-hmm. understand I've got a I've got a I don't know everything penciled in for the year and then uh, got a couple months up on a big board in the house that uh you know <laughs> the whole family we go and stand like okay what's going on for the next eight weeks and i just so i just did uh three uh different soccer games this weekend my wow. daughter cheerleaded at uh, a different thing uh and then uh i started packing my boat for uh lake of the woods <laughs> uh which i'm gonna leave for on thursday morning and and drive out there um i'll say this too having a good support network while you're on the road right so um you know getting things planned at home that's huge right i don't mm-hmm. leave anybody holding the bag <laughs> say that's not going to end well right so hey have have that i'll, I'll establish and then if you can have good travel partners uh i've been fortunate that uh you know i've worked with lean van dyke for uh quite a few years you know uh we've, and we've been friends with him for a lot longer than that so great that's guy. been awesome yeah he's just great and uh 
um, really great fisherman, great human, right. Uh, yeah. you know, just, just great person to know. Right. Uh, um, and then, uh, Bob Brueger, another great guy from Minnesota, you know, so, and they're both, they both approach everything a lot different than, than I would. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so that's, it's interesting to see, you know, how, how they, how they look at the water. So that, that helps a lot too. Uh, and we share information uh, and we're not, uh, we're not money shares, <laughs> but we, we share, we share information, you know, and then it all comes back to your, your own skills when you get on the water and things like that. And then um, the thing is a travel partner too. It's good to, for me. Um, I, been fortunate for a few years that uh, I get uh, a coingler to come along with me and uh, you know help me out with tying stuff up at night, you know, mm-hmm. cleaning clean the boat out, getting ready for the next day, and uh, uh, you know another another mind to bounce ideas off and uh, uh, an extra set of hands when you're out there not only for sure. for uh, efficiency, but uh, safety too right yeah. you know because uh, you know and we fish big, for walleye guys right we fish big bodies of water i mean sinkler's no joke right i mean it can can turn into something pretty rough pretty quick right and mm-hmm. uh you know uh everywhere we're our national walleye tour tournaments are <laughs> bay city day one that's what oh, i'm yeah. thinking about i got beat yeah up. <laughs> oh yeah 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 so imagine where you went i went probably another 25 miles further than that you're a wild man (laughs) yeah yeah it was interesting i Mm -hmm. just kept i mean for me what saved me that day is i i have air pedestal seats in my boat and i uh my calling that appreciated it too because i just every five minutes i go are you okay and he's like yeah i'm good keep going i'm like okay (laughs) are you okay yeah keep going i'm like oh man i'm like oh we're halfway there and the look on his face is like oh are you kidding me (laughs) yeah like yeah so one of my favorite parts of that rough water experience was um wayne had similar pedestals and they they saved me from a chiropractic visit but uh bouncing (laughs) off some of that sag nasty chopping here and wayne screamed god bless america (laughs) so it uh it saved my yeah. back, but yeah, we did totally. run some rough water. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, you know that's pretty typical for the bay, right? So you know uh, it's kind of funny because some of the guys from Minnesota and Wisconsin they're coming out freaking out about it. I'm like, I, like I was rough every day pre fishing. I'm like, that's pretty normal for there. Mm-hmm. They're like, they're, they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. Uh, and then I tell them about how far you're going to go. And they're like, no way. Far. I'm like, hey, only, the only three guys that beat me in that tournament went further than I did. So it kind yeah. of blew my mind. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, like, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess yeah, if, if, <laughs> if you think it, somebody will do it. Right. That's, the, mm-hmm. that's what I've found on it. So not like putting boundaries on yourself before you, you, you get into any of it too. Right. It's pretty huge. Just to keep an open mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. And I want to thank you so much for your time and interviewing for the walleye world podcast. And, uh, yeah. Do you have any other closing thoughts for, um, walleye anglers fishing Southeast Michigan or anywhere else for that matter in the Midwest? No, I mean, just, you know, some great fishing is coming upon us here real quick here. I mean, uh, summer has been great uh, for Southeast Michigan fishing and, uh, you know, I think uh, in general in the Midwest, but uh, I'll say my favorite time of fishing is coming up here in the uh, fall. I, I 
I mean, I, I know a lot of guys uh, uh, spend more time in the woods or uh, in waders uh, hunting in the, in the fall, but uh, great time of year to get out there and, and catch the biggest fish of the season. So uh, and just good luck to everybody uh, uh, for the for the rest of the year and uh, hope to see everybody on the water. Yeah, sounds great. Well, thank you again, and we look forward to hearing from you some more. We'll close this month's episode with a general report for walleye fishing on Lake St. Clair. So August, it is the peak time in terms of heat and activity on that lake. I would venture to say that the lake is at its highest temperatures it will be for the entire year. Uh, Thankfully, we have a giant shipping channel and strong current, multiple currents throughout the entire lake. So we have a dynamic system with heating and cooling and tons of weed beds. Those on those weed beds, most of them are either peak or have uh, passed the peak in terms of growth. And uh, at one point, some of those weeds would have been rather close to the top. Now they're beginning to kind of uh, diminish a bit. You'll see some floating weeds, but those walleyes are still very much relating to the weed structure. So deep water weed beds are very effective. The guys I know have been targeting the outside edges and points of them. Good way to go about it. Um, the bite I would say is better for crawler harnesses and spinners right now. Um, you can get some fish with a reaction bite using crankbaits. I have, it's been effective, but it seems like the majority of the guys that are doing well have been doing just that crawler harnesses. Derby, um, I know quite a few guys ran spinners with crawlers and that did pretty dang well. And if you go to some of the open water flat areas that are traditional areas for transitioning in terms of uh, bait fish, perch, shad, you will find the predatory fish like walleye. So definitely head to some of the deeper water, look by the shipping channel. And like I said, those weed beds will always have fish. You just need to approach them more methodical if you want to get them going. So definitely recommend running crawlers. It seems like that's the more effective bite this time of the year, but cranks always have their place. You can get them going with that too. One key aspect that I didn't hit earlier is running planer boards. Guys are trolling like I had mentioned. That is probably the best way to get them going on the big lake, but having those offshore boards with tattle flags is key to knowing the difference between a light bite from a walleye, the top of a weed stalk, or a perch, and I would say it's a must, and most of the guys that I know that are hardcore fishermen, they're running those on the lake, so Very effective tool, definitely have some of them in the boat, and don't hesitate to experiment. Change colors often, vary your depths, Um, but it seems like a lot of those walleyes are related to the bottom of the root structure because it's thick, it gives them protection, and it's an adequate source of plenty of bait. But I tell you what, as the mornings get cooler, I get more and more excited for the upcoming fall bite on Lake St. Clair. It'll be like the spring, but it flips in reverse, and those fish will come and shallow just as they were earlier in the season and you can target them much closer and don't have to motor quite as far so definitely an overlooked opportunity with all the other exciting things going on in the fall like hunting and uh, targeting other species but you definitely don't want to overlook a cool opportunity like this